0: Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ, growing a community of Jesus followers whose lives are more and more clearly marked by freedom from fear caused by sin and death, by, by joy that's found when we continuously find our rest yoked to Jesus. And today, discovering what it means to live a life of sacrifice. (laughs) Why all this hubbub? (laughs) Why take 10 weeks to laboriously plow through what we are trying to accomplish as a congregation and the expectation that it places on each of us to be intentionally striving to live our faith fully and consistently. I was picking through some of the research of our rapidly changing culture and the impact that it is having on all of us, whether we like to admit it or not and I came across a a pre-pandemic article written by Douglas Rushkoff, and then a post-pandemic article written by the same man. Now, Rushkoff is an American media theorist, a writer, a columnist, a lecturer, a graphic novelist, and a documentarian, according to Wikipedia. Now, before I share some tidbits from his article, Survival of the Richest, written pre-COVID, and uh, the privileged have entered their escape pods, written post-pandemic. Let me, let me just go ahead and, and, and pull out my gift of cynicism so that you won't have to. <laughs> First of all, he is not writing from a Christian worldview. Second of all, I doubt that his political views would align with, with many of yours or mine. It is nevertheless intriguing to read what people who think and believe very differently are saying. Here ends the disclaimer. In Survival of the Riches, Rushkoff recounts an unexpected encounter that he had pre-pandemic with five super-rich men who were seeking his thoughts on how best to survive what they called the impending event. And the event was their euphemism for an environmental collapse, social unrest, nuclear explosion, unstoppable virus, or a computer hack that takes down everything. And the question that occupied the conversation was how they could best protect their secure compounds. And so, Rushkoff writes this When they they asked me the best way to maintain authority over their security forces after the event, I suggested that their best bet would be to treat those people really well right now. They should be engaging with their security staffs as if they were members of their own families. He continues. They were amused by my optimism. (laughs) But they didn't really buy it. So he goes on to warn that we can become the individual consumers and profiles that our devices and platforms want us to be, or we can remember that the truly evolved human doesn't go it alone. That being human, he muses, is not about individual survival or escape. It is a team sport. Whatever future humans have, it will be together. And then, in the post-pandemic follow-up piece entitled, The Privileged Have Entered Their Escape Pods, he asks, how much are we allowed to use our wealth and our technologies to insulate ourselves and our families from the rest of the world? And like a devil on our shoulder, our technology is telling us to go it alone. After all, it is an iPad, not an (laughs) us-pad. I, too, smiled at that last line. But the whole idea of a civilization-as-we-know-it ending event and how we ought to be preparing for it rockets us directly into our text for today. And the third of the life marks of Jesus' followers that we are seeking to form at St. Luke's, a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of sacrifice— So I want to be painfully practical today. As I was preparing, I came once again across this learning model. First thing I want you to notice is that there's a nice little cross right in the middle. If you start in the upper left-hand quadrant labeled unconscious incompetence, now you know what that means. It means that you don't know what you don't know, and you don't even realize that you don't know it. Look, when it comes to the cross, human beings don't know who Jesus is, and they cannot believe that they need Him. And then you hear a sermon, maybe like this one or some other messenger of the gospel, and you move down into the lower left quadrant, and now, now you know that you don't know. The fact that you, that you can't ever do enough to earn your own way into God's kingdom, which is the world put right, that you cannot fix what's broken, breaks into your reality, but you still don't know what to do about it. You are now consciously incompetent. And then the Holy Spirit rushes in and you and move to the lower right quadrant and you begin to believe, but you, but you really have to concentrate on it. You have to pay attention. You have to be consciously reminded of it over and over again. In other words, you become consciously competent, now carefully seeking to follow Jesus in every part of your life. And perhaps over a lifetime of hearing the message, of of hearing the good news about Jesus, you move up into the upper right quadrant and you become unconsciously competent, which is more and more living the Jesus adventure naturally, instinctively, without having to stop and think about it. So I'd like to break that model down a little bit in light of our text, which you heard again this morning, the judgment scene, the one and only true event that we all have to look forward to, not with fear and trembling, but with excitement and anticipation, living lives of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal. Jesus describes His civilization civilization as we know it, ending event, as a separation of two kinds of people. And I would suggest to you that in the learning model, He identifies those on His left as the incompetent and those on His right as the competent. Jesus calls them the blessed and the cursed. And the distinction between them is simply their reception or their rejection of his message of salvation that you have forgiveness now and eternal life forever by god 's grace alone that is his undeserved, unlimited love by faith alone that is by believing in the life, death, resurrection, ascension, sending of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised the second coming to judge the living and the dead. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you become competent. Reject Him and you will remain incompetent. Now the problem is that a little bit trickier than it might seem at first glance. Because it turns out, people, that you can sit in church your whole life, hear the message of Jesus over and over, and remain unconsciously incompetent. How is that? Well, it's easy. Just be like the religious people in Jesus' day who believe that if they just went through the motions of worshiping God and tried their best to be a good person. That that is the same as having your heart awakened to the power of life in Christ that transforms every thought, every attitude, every word, and every action. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus had said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many right, mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, our mission is that nobody winds up there. Awakening hearts in every generation is our ongoing renewed effort to move through the stages of learning what it means day to day to be a follower of Jesus. I suppose, or or at least I'd like to believe that if you've been around here any length of time, then, then you know that you are a fallen, broken, sinful human being that is not, not able to fix yourself by simply going through the motions of religion and being a nice person. That means that at some level, at least, we are all aware We are conscious of our incompetence. Although I'm I'm, I'm afraid sometimes that we might actually get stuck there too. In other words, we hear the gospel, we receive Jesus, and then we are content to say, oh yeah, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, but thank God Jesus died on the cross for all my sins. Because the truth is we don't really want to examine our lives, root out our little idols that we're constantly turning to for our happiness and our security. We don't really want to ferret out our pet sins and actively seek to change, to become more and more the person that God created us to be and that Jesus died and rose again to unleash the power of the resurrection into our lives. When we were working on defining these four life marks of a Jesus follower at St. Luke's, we intentionally decided not to say life of service, but rather to say life of sacrifice. Because it seemed that that service can sometimes sound so convenient. Of course, if I have a little extra time or some extra dollars, then, then what might I be able to do to help? Sacrifice means that the giving of ourselves will actually cut into what you can buy or how much you can save or what you will do on your day off. The like of sacrifice implies a leap of faith. Now I was talking with another staff member this past week about virtual reality devices. Have you all heard of these? Right? You, you put them over your eyes, and your brain can only see what's projected on the little screens inside the goggles. And so she was sharing with me the experience of, of seeing in that virtual reality goggles she was wearing, the view from the top of a skyscraper, and then being challenged in that virtual reality world to walk off the edge of the building. Now, even though she knew that she was standing in her living room and that she would not fall, she said, I could not bring myself to do it. (laughs) I think the life of sacrifice is like that. That you do know, you do believe, you are convinced by the Holy Spirit that the kingdom of God, the world put right, is real that you are even now by faith standing in God's living room. But the virtual reality of sin and death and evil that surrounds us paralyzes you from stepping into it. Pastor Rosso, the former senior pastor of St. Luke's, my friend and mentor in the ministry, told me 25 years ago when I first came to St. Luke's, Wally, it will be much easier for folks to give their money than it will be for them to give their time. (laughs) Which, Which always reminds me of the old story of the chicken and the pig that ran away from the farm, and they, need, they needed some funds to live on, and so spying out a restaurant serving breakfast, the chickens suggested they could sell them some bacon and some eggs. And the pig was aghast and said, easy for you to say, for you it's only a donation, for me it's a total commitment. Look, and awaken hearts longs for total commitment to the life of sacrifice, to step over into the conscious competence, to take up the life of sacrifice by consciously choosing to use some of your time, your unique gifts and talents, your treasure in service to others. And you will know, please, as I have told you before, that it is not that it is time and a talent and a treasure, not time or talent or treasure. This is total commitment. And so I want to encourage you to consciously consider three things this morning. The first is your life stage. The second is your station in life. And finally, the real-time opportunities to be on the lookout for. Now, what do I mean by life stage? Well, well, just this, that, that the life of sacrifice is for every generation. It's not just something you do someday when you grow up. It's something you can do regardless of your age or your situation that will most certainly change as you move from one stage of life to another. And so, Children, I want you to go home, talk about and think about your family and your parents and your siblings and your classmates at school. And I want you to consciously consider what you can do or say that would offer encouragement or help or hope. I mean, middle schoolers and, and high schoolers, your, your, your world gets a little bit bigger and you, and you have friends and classmates and, and the community around you. Young adults, you are at that point where your life of sacrifice might include your career choice and the relationships that await you. If you're single, I don't know, you may have more flexibility and and ability to respond spontaneously when a need arises. Married with children, of course, you're focused on the family, but, but not to cocoon yourself from the needs of those around you. Empty nesters, you probably have more time and more resources available to you now than you have ever had before. Oh, and us older adults? Somebody told me recently that we start out as in the go-go phase, and then comes the slow-go phase, (laughs) and then finally the no-go phase. (laughs) But people, each stage offers different opportunities. Consider your life stage, and then consciously consider your life situation. Are you a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or a parent? Are you an employee or an employer, a coworker? Are you a friend, a neighbor, a stranger? The life of sacrifice people begins with those who are closest to, to you, and then it works its way out into the networks that you encounter. Consider your life stage, consider your life station, and then consciously consider the real-time opportunities that come your way. Now, for simplicity, I've simply grouped them into four categories. Random acts of kindness, groups and activities through the church, existing ministries in the community, and then seeing unmet needs and starting a ministry. Now, to help you with that, you heard at the beginning of the service that we're hosting a ministry fair today in the new gym, and I'm going to stand at the door, and I expect every one of you to go over there to the gym, and at least walk through and think about God's call to live a life of sacrifice. Look, here's my personal experience, that the movement through this learning model is an ongoing process that I keep forgetting the message, that my heart has been awakened. And then I realize that I have sinned and thought, word and deed, by what I've done and by what I've left done, and the Spirit rushes back in over and over again to trust and to believe in Jesus so that I can strive to be consciously competent, that is to delight in His will and to walk in His ways. I I hope someday that I will suddenly find myself naturally and instinctively looking around at whoever is in my network and wondering what I could do with a word of encouragement or some kind of assistance or support. That as I walk out into my neighborhood, or my workplace, or my community, I would find myself being genuinely curious about what's going on in the lives of those I meet. We are the blessed, forgiven, bound for eternity, in the face-to-face to to live in the face-to-face presence of God, and that has set us free To live lives of joy, sacrificing ourselves even as Jesus gave himself for us on the cross.